0: Hello, beautiful souls. Today's episode is all about trauma and the feminine. So if you're somebody who has struggled with healing childhood trauma or any kind of complex developmental trauma in your life, then this episode is for you. And we're going to help you connect to the soft place inside of you that is yearning to heal. And as well, I will let you know that my Embodied Trauma Healing Course is on sale right now. The registration period runs from January 17th to January 24th. So if you're listening to the podcast during that time frame, then you are welcome to check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes and join if you feel like it's a fit for you. We're going to be diving deep into nervous system healing, uh, softening into an open-hearted feminine expression, and so much more. So all the details will be at the link in the show notes. And without further ado, let's dive right into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Insatiable Woman podcast. I am Evelyn Hale and I'm here with my co-host, Caitlin Newton. And today our episode is going to be on the wounded feminine and trauma and how when you are struggling to be in your authentic embodied feminine, how trauma could be impacting that. And we're going to give you some tips on how to deal with your trauma so that you can feel safe and comfortable letting go and relaxing. So let's just dive right in. So I'm going to start with a definition of trauma. And this comes from Resmaa Menekum, who is a trauma specialist and expert and the author of My Grandmother's Hands. And that's a book that I recommend to all of the listeners who have unhealed trauma or who are interested in trauma. It's really one of the best books out there because it explains trauma from the level of the body and understanding how the body reacts to painful situations in life and then how it's built up over time and even from our ancestry. So what he defines trauma as is anything that happens too much, too fast, or too soon and your body doesn't recover. So I like to think of the example of of an animal in the wild to illustrate this. Animals in the wild have things happen to them, right? Like they get, they, they try to get, a, a bunny gets like almost eaten by a fox. Let's say that the bunny is being chased and then he's caught by the fox. Now if the bunny plays dead, the fox might lose interest and he will just drop him. So he drops the bunny. And then the bunny is in a state of shock and his body will probably be limp for a while, like the fox will run away and then the bunny will still be laying there but in a frozen state. That's often what happens to us humans in a situation that's too much, too fast, too soon. Our, our whole system will just go offline. But in the wild animals have an instinct to come back online and that instinct is shaking. So the bunny will eventually perk up its ears and it'll realize it's safe to get up so it'll get up and it'll just shake the body of the rabbit will just shake and shake and shake and all animals do this and then eventually it'll be it'll come back like fully online and it'll just hop away and it'll it won't have any trauma so like that instance of it almost getting eaten it'll it won't be something that is causes any fear so that rabbit is not going to avoid that spot anymore. It might be more int- intentional about okay, this is where the foxes live. Like animals are smart, <laughs> but it's not going to have trauma or triggers around it to the extent that we do as humans because we don't we've suppressed our body's natural ability to shake off trauma. But we have a we have a shaking response too. So if you've ever thought about yourself whenever you are anxious you may have noticed your body start to shake but then you shut it down and we can think of even being really cold when our body's really cold what do we do we shake so our bodies have the ability to shake but socially this is seen as abnormal or like unacceptable so we shut it down and if we could just allow the body to do what it needs to do we could release a lot of trauma and I'll talk more about this in the episode, but basically trauma is anything that, you're, that happens to you that's too much, too fast, too soon, and your body doesn't come back online. And oftentimes this happens in childhood. And then we're in a state of constantly being re-triggered around whatever it is that happened. To you. Does that make sense so far, Caitlin?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that example with the bunny and the shaking that is important, especially if you have animals at home, watch them when they have a stressful situation and see how they respond. Because I know Duchess will do like, if she's triggered by something outside, she'll do a little neurotic movement a few times until she can like let go of the situation. She'll either shake or she goes over to her food bowl and she'll move it around for whatever reason, like with her nose or her paw. And then she like, or she'll come over to me to get a pet and then goes back to whatever she was doing. So even when you watch your own animals you can see the instincts that they already have
0: yeah and with our domesticated animals they're not in the environment where they would be able to free themselves of certain triggers let's think of fireworks like a lot of dogs are terrified of fireworks and so every time they hear the fireworks they go back into that that triggered state in a way we could say that is trauma that's much more of a human type response to trauma because they're trapped, right? Like they're trapped in the house and they don't understand. And it, it's manufactured, it's man made. It's not something that would have happened in the wild before dogs were domesticated. So if you're listening and you're like, my dog doesn't actually release the trauma, it's probably because it's domesticated and we've got these man made noises and things where they can't actually escape from. Yes. Yes. But anyway, but yeah, we all have that ability to like shake. So there's a lot of research that I'll try to link to in the show notes for folks to learn more about the biology of trauma and the nervous system. This is actually something that I teach on in my course, Embodied Trauma Healing. So I'll have a link to that as well. But what you need to know about the feminine and trauma is that when, you're, when you've experienced something in childhood or any time in life that was too much, too fast, or too soon, you're going to disconnect from your body because the body feels it and, and we don't like it. And so that's where we dissociate, we numb, we distract, and we disconnect from the truth of the pain. And we can be very high-functioning. We can actually go out and be um, an overachiever in many ways, Those of us who are type A perfectionists, um, overachievers, a lot of times we're actually outrunning the pain of the body because the body um, felt so much and we don't want to feel it all again. But the disconnect that happens from trauma is the opposite of feminine because the feminine is all in the body. It's the embodied truth of whatever you're experiencing, good, bad, ugly. So when we experience trauma and it's unhealed, meaning we haven't allowed the body to release it, then most likely we're going to be in a wounded feminine energy. So I'm speaking mainly to women here, although this probably applies to all genders, but with women what I find how they express their feminine when they have unhealed trauma is they'll be very codependent. So like their safety depends on Their sense of safety depends on other people's state of being, if that makes sense. Like, you can't feel safe unless everyone around you is happy. If if everyone around you is not happy, then you might feel a sense of danger because of what happened to you in childhood. And this doesn't have to be, like, you could have a sense of people-pleasing and fawning and codependency even if you didn't experience... Like big T trauma, right? Even if you didn't experience being physically or sexually abused, you could still have trauma because it's trauma is anything that you've experienced that's too much, too fast, or too soon. So if you're a child and your nervous system experiences the feeling of being too much, let's like, like I have a client who she was too much as a kid, and her mother always said, like you're basically your feelings are too big. Keep it under control. Keep it in check. Don't cry. You're being too loud. You're being too crazy. She wasn't allowed to express herself. And now as an adult, she feels like she's too much for everybody. She's always constantly checking. Am I too much? am I too much? Am I safe to express all of me? And this has really impacted so much of her life. So I think it's important that the listeners know that trauma isn't what happened to you. It's how you experienced it. So something that was traumatic for Caitlin might not have been traumatic for me because we have different bodies, different nervous systems, different experiences in life. So it's really not helpful at all to compare like what happened to you. It's really about honoring that the body had some... Your, your body had some reaction to whatever happened and it needs your help now.
1: That's such a powerful perspective shift. What you just said, like not judging what your body couldn't handle in that moment. What is a trauma for, I, I feel like sometimes we almost like gaslight ourselves out of acknowledging that we actually had trauma by saying, oh, you're overreacting or it wasn't a big deal. We're often the people saying that to ourselves. We're not usually getting that feedback from other people. So releasing the judgment around what you experienced that stayed with you and just acknowledging that, yeah, my body wasn't ready for that experience or it was a lot for me and I didn't know how to handle it. Just letting that be, because that's like the first step, I think, to working through it is, you know what, this was too much for me. I shouldn't have had to deal with that as a kid. And here I am.
0: Absolutely. I have this conversation all the time, like some variation of this conversation with adult survivors of trauma. And that trauma may or may not have been, again, it may or may not have been something like physical or sexual, or a lot of times I work with women who they, I don't even know how to describe it. Like they, they did experience a form of sexual trauma, but it, maybe it wasn't penetration. Like maybe it wasn't what we classically think of as, like, somebody abusing us, but a child who exposed themselves to us or, like, another child who did something that made us feel uncomfortable or, like, asked us, we were, like, hanging out at their house and they asked us to pull our pants down or something. Like, that's still trauma if your body experienced it as trauma. And it doesn't really matter if you weren't, like, physically touched or if you were touched in a way that... Maybe your mind is going to tell you like, oh, that wasn't trauma. Like, oh, that you don't deserve to feel pain around this. But as a child, our systems, our nervous systems are so sensitive and so open. And when we experience something that doesn't feel in alignment with us, we either shut down or we or we can set a boundary. So I've worked with lots of clients where as a child, another, a friend of theirs either acted out something that was happening to them or they they simply just crossed a line, they crossed a boundary. And children often don't know how to set boundaries for themselves. So if, a, if another friend asks you to do something and you aren't confident in yourself at whatever age, you're 5, you're 10, you're 15, and you don't feel confident saying no, then you're going to go beyond your own boundary. And then as an adult, you're going to look back and you're going to feel a sense of shame about that or a sense of, I should have known better, but how could you have, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. That's, and that's something that we often don't learn for some time to come to. And I think it becomes easier. I think setting boundaries becomes easier when you do this work because your awareness is expanded. You can almost see how those patterns replay too. Like it, it might change form, but still doing whatever your friend says May repeat itself into adulthood. And I think in a lot of the behavioral patterns, that's where we can identify the trauma.
0: Are you enjoying this episode? If you are, and if you're getting value out of the podcast, it would mean the world to us if you left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. As social proof is the number one reason anyone does anything these days, if a podcast doesn't have at least 10, 20 or more reviews, no one's going to listen. Our podcast is still very new and we would appreciate it so much if you pressed pause right now, went to the podcast show home and left us a rating and review. And then you can come back, hit unpause and enjoy the rest of the show. We appreciate you so much. Yeah. So what I would invite the listeners to do is to ask yourself, What do I think back about in my childhood and think to myself, I should have done something different. Like I should have said no, I should have gotten myself out of that situation. I should have spoken up, whatever. Maybe you, maybe it's like you witnessed somebody doing something to somebody else. And and that was trauma for you, just witnessing it. And now you look back and you wish you had said something different, or maybe somebody did do something to you and you didn't say no. And so now you bear the shame, the guilt of that because you think I should have said no. And if I had said no, then I wouldn't be a victim. Or I, I'm not, you you think to yourself, oh, I'm not a victim because I didn't say no. And like only victims, you only get to claim the title of victim if you say no. And this is, we hear this all the time in the media about like, she didn't say no, is it rape? She didn't say no, so is it rape? We're not going to get into that in this episode, but it's really about your body and your body's signals. And if you're feeling so heightened and so activated that you can't say no, that your system is like flooded, then you have to forgive yourself for that. So a lot of trauma healing is about self-forgiveness and acknowledging that that inner child, that little girl, that little boy, whoever it was, Experience something that they didn't know how to process, and it's up to you as an adult to help them process it. So a lot of trauma healing really comes down to inner child healing and really reparenting yourself, and it's a pretty messy process. It's not something you can do in your mind; something that has to happen in your body. And so when it comes to embodiment work and the feminine, those two things are so connected. And I for myself experienced this overlap of doing embodiment work and then becoming aware of the feminine. It like happened in a very short span of time where I learned about, wow, okay, my body had a different experience than what my mind wants to acknowledge. My body had pain that was stored. My mind wanted to override that pain. But now I'm going to like actually listen in and, and see what my body has to say. So as I was doing all of that, I started to become aware of feminine and, men- and masculine energy. And that kept me in this mental place of, oh, okay, I can just soften and I can receive more if I'm feminine. So I would try to do that from the level of the mind, but the body was still like full of pain. So it didn't feel safe doing it. So it's almost your mind wants to take the let's say your body is like a it's like a small car it's like a prius right like you've got like this small but like energy efficient car but your mind wants to go off roading your mind is like, we're gonna go off road we're gonna go in the jungle but the car is not equipped for that the car is like, i'm sorry i'm a prius like i i don't do that you take it offline you take it off road you take it in the jungle what's gonna happen car is going to totally break down it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna stop working that's what happens when we want to go into the feminine before the body feels safe the body will literally prevent us from doing that because we're actually violating ourselves Is that
1: yeah no that totally makes sense and when you were talking about examples earlier I also wanted to mention that you can also experience trauma from something like watching like a scary movie when you're really young like I know being exposed to certain like horror movies or if you're at a friend's house and they have it on or like you're you walk downstairs and your parents have some scary scene on too like you can even experience trauma from that and it will trigger like random things that are triggers for you so It actually shows up in more ways than we classically think of. And that might be a little T-Trauma experience, but it may have really scarred you to have seen something like either very like gory and graphic or just eerie and creepy like a horror film. Anything like that can also have that nervous system response, because especially as a child and especially as a young child, you don't always understand like what's on the screen isn't a thing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it really is so relative to you in your nervous system and it's all about the cumulative aspect of what it is that's too much too fast or too soon so let's say from birth to age five your life is pretty stable and and pretty pretty healthy and you don't experience a lot that's too much too fast or too soon you don't experience a lot of trauma but then at age five your parents get divorced that's big and then maybe from that point forward you do find some new stability, but that, even if that divorce was peaceful, it was enough for your system to register, and and maybe you didn't have an opportunity to really heal from that. That would be similar to a child who had cumulatively, maybe from birth, had consistent, like, trauma that layers on top of each other, because the system can... How do I even explain it? All all I can say is I've worked with I've worked with survivors from all levels. I worked with survivors of literally sex cults, right? Like women who have been forced against their will, and like child victims. And that's what what's worse than that? What's a deeper like level of suffering than that? That's awful. And their resiliency is here. Like their resiliency is so high but then I work with women who like the first example stable household stable family and then they experienced something it was a divorce or like something punctuated in a way the nervous system registers it as the same there's no comparison it's not as though the first example she's completely broken beyond repair and the second one she's only a little bit broken the nervous system expands its ability to hold all of this. And the process is the same. So it's really not about one, one example of the actual situation being worse than the other. It's about, it's totally about how your nervous system handles. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, that definitely makes sense. Okay, good. But yeah, so I think, as I think for me, I was my whole life so i experienced like what you would call big t trauma i definitely experienced big t trauma like sexual physical emotional abuse and still growing up i thought to myself it could be worse and i shamed myself for that and i denied myself the right to heal because i believed that it could be worse and so what that does is that keeps us from honoring what it was no matter what you've experienced you owe it to yourself to honor the truth of how it felt, whether it was quote unquote, big T or little T trauma. You have to honor that it was real for you. Yeah. Maybe I wasn't like tortured in a basement and whipped, (laughs) but does that mean I'm not deserving of healing? Does that mean that my experience wasn't just as real? No, my experience was very real. And it took me 30 years to acknowledge that my pain was real. And then finally sit with it and honor it and say, talk to that little girl and say I'm so sorry that I abandoned you and I told you that you know what it could have been worse that's essentially what you're telling yourself you're telling your you're telling the little child inside of you suck it up buttercup because it could have been worse how awful is that it's terrible and could you imagine saying that if your
1: dog got bit by another dog and they were like crying would you say oh could have been worse but something that innocent and like small that can't control that situation and we would never give that response to another human or animal
0: exactly so i find that a lot of women try to go into their feminine before they've done their inner child like reclamation work and it, it usually explodes on them like the process of going into your feminine will explode your wounds it will explode your your trauma because unless you're spiritually bypassing, the feminine is, unless you're just focusing on like love and light and you're, so that one of the wounded feminine um, traits is to bypass and it is to stay in a perpetually positive state. And it's like a state of denial. It's like love and light, like nothing bad, everything's fine, that's denial of the reality of life. There is darkness. There are there is pain. So if so so a lot of women will either be stuck there in the fem, quote unquote feminine but like the light just just the light side of the feminine. The women who want to go all in, who really wanna like embody truth and embody the feminine, it's going to take you on a journey down into the depths of your pain. And it's gonna require you to sit and look at it and cry with it and be with it. So if you haven't done that yet, I'm sorry to say that that is a part of your journey that you cannot avoid. But the good news is as you do that, so the way that it
1: works on like an energetic level is that you have this energy, almost like an energetic bookmark was placed in that situation from childhood or adolescence that has to be revisited. It's like a bookmark of energy stored up there and emotions stored up there. And then it's not until we come into a state where we're actively working on this stuff that that gets revisited. And then we can like take that energy that's been like clogged there, heal it, alchemize it, work through it and clear it. And then as we clear it and it might not be done in one fail swoop, it's not like, oh, I meditated with my inner child for 20 minutes. And now that experience is gone forever. It may come in layers. It depends but as we like work with those bookmarks we lighten it creates more space for energy to flow through for spirit to flow through and like to become more of our authentic selves too so it's it as we go on this work we're also evolving spiritually as we do trauma work
0: yes thank you for bringing the lightness back in <laughs> <laughs> i'm all scorpio here it is a it is a lightening process yes so as you do face the darkness, you get to experience more of the light. Expect yourself to stay down there in the darkness, but also understand that it is a requirement, like that you're feminine. She will make you look at things that you don't want to look at. But when you do, you get to also experience like that much more joy, that much more lightness. So you're, I call it an excavation. And it's, let's say your body is a... I was going to say a burial ground, but that sounds, that's too dark. (laughs) Let's go something lighter. Let's say you're going to build a house, right? Like your body is a house. You're going to build it from the ground up. If the ground is full of like, like heavy rocks, you have to, if you want to build a basement, you got to scoop all that out. So if you want to have a nice solid foundation for your house, you have to create some space. And if you want to receive more, let's say you want to have a big house, you're going to have to do a lot of excavation work. So the proportion to which you want to receive love, abundance, pleasure is proportionate to the amount of space you have to create. Like energetically, obviously you're not like making a bigger body physically, but you're making a spacious energetic pathway for all these things to flow through you. And I think of it as it is a physical thing. It might not be something you can see with your eyes, but as you um look in the mirror and really see those parts of you that are scared and and ashamed and afraid to be seen and you get you give them light you pour light into them you're freeing up that space for more love more light i used to have so much shame i couldn't even look anyone in the eye Caitlin. i honestly could not look anyone in the eye like as a little kid i was so ashamed i was so ashamed of what had happened to me I didn't even, I had repressed it, and I didn't even know what had happened to me until I was 30, 35. But I didn't know, in hindsight, now I know, but I didn't know why I couldn't look people in the eye. Like, I would completely look away. As soon as somebody caught my eye, I would look away. It was way too painful. I had to learn how to look people in the eye in my 30s. Like, that's a new thing for me. And all my life, I was just terribly shy. So shy. So afraid of being seen. And when I finally started to do this inner child like reclamation work, I had to face parts of me that I thought were bad, disgusting, ugly. Not just like physical parts of me, because there were like certain parts of my body I had completely disowned. It was like, I think that part of me is gross. I think that part of me is ugly. But also personality traits, things about me. I thought, what if people find out that I'm actually selfish? What if people find out that I'm actually lazy? What if people find out that I actually want attention? Like, those things, those three things in particular, I was hiding. I was like, oh, I'm a selfless person who I don't need any attention or recognition, and and I'm a hard worker, but like, deep down, I like to roll, like, be lazy and lay around just as much as the next person. I want the extra slice of pizza just as much as the next person wants the extra slice of pizza. Like I'm not selfless and it's not a bad thing, but it was, to me, it was like the worst thing that anyone could ever be. And I had so much shame around that.
1: It's really interesting. Like, especially with the eye contact thing, um, trying to reflect on that. I know that we did this experiment or like practice in my yoga teacher training with the, I think there were maybe 12 students in this class when we stood in two lines and we had, maybe there were, but we had to, for a timer, uh, I can't remember how long the timer was. We had to like look someone in the eye and then go down the line. So you'd have to like look everybody in the eye and it told you so much about them because I do remember specifically one woman that could not make any eye contact. And I just, I never really understood why, but it stuck with me. I remember her more than anyone else from that day. And I didn't understand it really. And so hearing you say that, I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. And when you have someone like that, you can automatically have compassion for them because they're dealing with something.
0: Yeah. It comes from a really deep core of shame. And I think we all have shame to a certain extent, Some people's shame just is more deeply embedded, I think, and it comes from what your experiences were in childhood. If you were told or modeled, it doesn't even have to be like verbally told, but if you were modeled that sexuality is bad and taboo, then you're going to have shame around your own sexuality. If you were shamed for taking a break, relaxing, then you're going to have shame every time you want to take a break. If you were told that you're selfish, if you go for that extra slice of pizza, or I, I love to do this thought experiment with people where I'm like, okay, there's five of us. And then we have a pizza with eight slices. Who's going to get, who gets two slices and who gets one slice? And usually people are like, I'm only going to take, I'll, I'll, I'll just take one. I'll leave. Nobody wants to take the extra slices. There might be a few people depending on who I'm talking to or no shame. Yep. I want an extra piece, I'm hungry. And it's sweet, take it, like you, you own it. Like own that you want that extra piece of pizza or maybe collectively as a group, we just cut them and we, there's always a way to figure it out. And it's just about the thought experiment is just about uncovering your, your impulses and where do they come from? And do you have shame around it? I used to have so much shame. I'd be like, oh no, I won't take an extra piece. Oh, I, I don't wanna be the, I don't wanna be, I don't wanna be seen selfish or gluttonous, you know? That's a good question. It's a good like gauge to see someone uh, like where they're at. That's I like that. My behavior because of that feeling of shame, what would end up happening for me most of my life, and again this was totally unconscious, would be like I would say no to the extra slice. But then when I was home and I was alone and I had food available to me, I would go sneak food. Like I used to do this as a kid. I would go like sneak food or like whenever when nobody was around, I would eat four bowls of cereal. Who needs to eat four bowls of cereal? But that was my way of compensating because I didn't want to be seen meeting, getting my needs met. So I would go and I would do it in secret. And that's, oh, so sad. Like when I think back on, on her, on that little girl, and I even did this as an adult. Oh my gosh, (laughs) this memory just came up. One of the places I used to work, people were always bringing in food and, and like cakes and just community food. And it was a socially acceptable or social socially implied rule that you don't take more than whatever your fair share is somebody brings in a cake and you want to make sure everybody gets some. and right? you don't want to you don't want to eat the last slice or you don't want to eat the last of something if you know someone else hasn't gotten it and it's also just like if you didn't bring it in it feels weird to just be taking it in the first place unless someone is sit unless you're there at the gathering with everybody and then they're like encouraging it but this is slept left in the break room nobody's around so I would sneak into the break room and like get a piece of cake and like sneak it back to my desk and eat it you know what I mean Like I didn't want to be caught and I wasn't doing anything wrong I really I wasn't doing anything wrong but I felt oh god if somebody sees that I'm eating cake they're gonna be like, "Why are you eating that community cake?" I don't know why I thought that, but I was just—it was so deeply ingrained in me, you know. That's so interesting. That
1: was your experience. I'm just very fascinated, by it. I definitely understand that to an, like to a degree, not wanting to do that. So, for shame, what is one of the biggest ways that you like live more shamelessly?
0: by being very honest and direct about my desires and just to be okay with whatever it is I desire and to also know that those desires won't always be met and that's okay too like I'm okay inside of me being unfulfilled as long as I'm authentic so I can say to my partner I don't know just an example can I have a back rub like I would love a back rub and if he's I'm a little tired I don't not right now or something. I don't fall apart. I don't make it mean something it doesn't mean. But I at least honored my desire to to, to ask for the thing that I want. Or if it's a food-related thing, I don't know. Let's say we're hanging out at a barbecue and there's a, a limited amount of some food item that, like, everybody loves. And people are like, okay, last call, who wants the last bite of this thing? If I want it, I will say I want it. I'm not going to fight somebody for it. But if people are saying like, do you want this thing? How I deal with, how I have eliminated shame is just by being honest, like checking in with myself. Okay, body, do you want that? Say it. And then if there's five other people that also want it, then we can talk about it. We can deal with it. It's not about I'll die if I don't get it. It's just about actually expressing the desire. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. And I love that. That's a good way to
1: describe it by just tuning into the moment and being honest. That's really good. And not having the attachment to the desire being met is also really powerful because I think a lot of people get really hung up on the desires and then it completely changes the experience. I think my experience with doing less with shame is a little different. So I wonder what there is to this. Cause I've never thought about it in the way you said, but I will out myself on everything. If I do something that I'm like, Ooh, shouldn't I do that? That kind of felt like a backslide or like something that I would normally tuck away. I'll have an experience or do or say something and then put it in the back of my closet and never think about it again or torture myself with it. Now I'll just I'll text you or I'll text my mom or whoever, or I'll tell 12 people at work. I'll be like, I did this yesterday. And then I have no attachment to it then for whatever reason. It's like when you put it in the back of a closet, it starts to build this like scary life of its own and like animating much more like the shame. It's like feeding off the shame and grows into something else. When if I just come in and I'm like, I did this yesterday. And then I'm like, okay, cool, I'm done. And then I never
0: think about it again. I love that. Yeah that's a great way to heal the shame is to just out yourself and own it and see that other people don't care. I actually just had an experience
1: with this and probably nothing that anyone is thinking of currently, but I moved back to Connecticut from the desert and it's really cold here right now. And I just didn't shave my legs for six weeks and it was like a really long time. And I've never done that before because there's so much programming around like clean legs. I've just, I've never gone that long. Like I've definitely gone like maybe two, three weeks, but six was a lot. Um, and so I started to just think it was so funny. So I'm like at work and I like showed two of my, I pulled out my pant leg. I'm like, look, man, I'm on like week five right now. <laughs> I just thought, and they thought it was hilarious like in the back of my mind I'm like oh my god they're gonna think this is so unattractive or that like I'm not feminine or whatever and but instead it was just like something we all laughed about it was so funny and I did finally shave my legs it took me like an hour yesterday but it was just an experience I had and I was like man instead I would feel like manly and like gross I want people to like still think I'm attractive so I would never show anyone but this time I was like it was so expansive for me to share that with like randos
0: yes oh my gosh and and that applies to so many different things And I'm not saying that you have to go out and share this on social media but one thing that Caitlin said to me a couple years ago it was you were talking about like a practice you were doing uh, like a feminine embodiment practice and I remember saying to you like oh my god I would feel so uncomfortable doing that. I think you were, you would get down on all fours and, and like, it was definitely to invite like more sexuality into your life. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, I would look, my like, my, my belly would be hanging down and my thighs would be like hanging in an unattractive way. And I just didn't want to do it. Like I think it was mainly like a movement practice, but you did it naked or something. Mm-hmm. And you were like, Evelyn, why don't you try this? I think this could help you. And I was like, oh my God, Caitlin, that would be so gross. Like, I would look so gross. And you were like, oh, like you, you were so nurturing and, and mothering and like loving. And you helped me see the shame that I had carried about my body and the way that my body was. And it's, it really opened my eyes to the fact that, that was even there. That, like, and still, I still work on that. I'm not saying that I'm all healed now, but just seeing it was a huge step for me. And now when I find myself looking at parts of my body when I'm in certain positions, because when you have sex, you're in certain positions, and I'll I'll have a moment where I'm like, oh, I don't like the way that looks. But then I remember, not only can I not change it, <laughs> but it's a part of me that needs love. Like, that part of me deserves love and why would I rob my partner of the ability to give love to me when he wants to, he's not repulsed by it. He's not repulsed by the way that part of me wrinkles or sags. Like he loves all of me and he's here just to fill me up with pleasure and love. And so I just got into the mindset of who am I to deny the light pouring in to whatever area of my life that needs it.
1: I like that. Who am I to? Yeah. That's awesome. That's such a powerful shift to think about.
0: I still hide parts of me. Definitely. I still hide parts of me. Like up till recently, I was hiding my spirituality on social media. I was like not sharing the fact that I'm like spiritual and use tarot cards and oracle cards and pendulums and crystals and all these things. So I'm sharing more of that. And I still hide my mess. Oh my God, I'm so messy. I don't like putting away dishes. I don't like doing dishes. I don't like clearing off my table. Like, I don't like cleaning. I don't like cleaning. And I don't share like videos and my stories of my apartment because it's oftentimes not clean. And I'm like, I can't share that because people are gonna think I'm a slob. But the reality is like, Caitlin, I'm a slob. And I still let the light in with that one. That's a big one for me.
1: It's so funny because that's like something that you hide. And I've told you this before, but I find your ability to be messy and okay. So expansive um, because there, I remember there was, cause I'm the opposite. I'm like, oh, uh, I can't like, I will not go to bed if there's like a dish in the sink. Like I have to do all my dishes before I go to bed. I will reset my pillows before I leave for work on the couch. So when I come in, it's clean. But there was like one day, I decided to stop folding the blanket on the back of my couch and drape it on it like in a way that looks comfortable. And I sent it to Evelyn and I was like, look, my blanket's not folded. It looks so much cozier now. And then there was another day when I was wearing like a white tank top. It was summer and I spilled something all down the front of my tank top. And I was about to head out the door and I was like, fuck it. And I just went anyway. And it was like an oil thing. So it was like an oil spill. So it wasn't like a fruit smoothie, but I had it. And I had the little cardigan over it and everything, and I was like, I just ran to the store in this. And you're like, Are you wearing it? I'm like, Yep, I'm wearing it. And you're like, I'm so proud of you because that fights that part of me that like wants to be seen as like perfect and attractive and has it all together. That like, which is like a childhood thing that I picked up. So it's been expansive for me to step out of that and be like, Yep, I still things on my shirt sometimes,
0: and <laughs> like just own it. Yeah, thank you for that because I feel like we're constantly showing each other that it's okay to be, you and I are so different. We have a lot of similarities, but we're also very different. And it's definitely expansive to have friends like that who can like hold your difference from them and be like, yeah, I don't care. (laughs) Like, I don't care. This is fine. Totally agreed.
1: I had another question I wanted to go into. So if we're healing trauma and we're, oh, one thing I did want to mention too on this is we don't have to, seek out our trauma. I have found like anytime I try to like, "Mm, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pick four years old and go back to them and see what happened on the playground and like work through it. I find that it's being communicated to us which thing we have to work through. And I don't think we have to go searching for it. It comes up by the patterns that we're engaging in in our everyday life. That is where the trauma is. That is the connection. So if there is An example of, let's say I sent out invitations to a Christmas party and the Christmas party is in four days and no one has RSVP'd yet. Like all the while, my friends just aren't as punctual as I am maybe. But for me, it's like triggering a feeling of, oh my God, I have no friends. No one wants to come to my party. No one likes me. That right
0: there is the invitation to look at where this trauma occurred. I totally agree with that. Triggers are a doorway into exploring the trauma that needs to be healed And, like, the other thing I want to say about trauma being something that's healed organically is, number one, 100% agree with that, but a lot of times we are told that we we need to talk it out, and we need to go to a therapist and talk it out, and in a way, I find that approach very surgical, and what I mean by that is if your body is where the trauma lives, then you're going in with a scalpel and you're trying to cut it out. And that's, ouch, like, that sounds so horrible and so invasive and so in a way, like symbolically perpetuating what you've already experienced in life. Like, God, more of the same versus if you trust that house to bring it up on its own. It's like a, I think of trauma as being like this sunken, sunken treasure or sunken boat at the bottom of a lake, little parts of it are going to break off. As you move through life, parts of that are going to break off and pop up to the surface. And you can just sit there and look at it, hold it, honor it, cry with it, and ask it, what do you need? What do you need from me right now? As opposed to getting your scuba suit on, going to the bottom and like breaking pieces off of the ship, which is so counterproductive.
1: Yes, that's so good. I I like that, like visual a lot. And also your body... And your soul like present you with the memory that you're ready to work through. You may have this desire to uncover when you get on the self-help, you act, you seek these weird things out, but you may have this desire to like uncover something bigger, but no, just wait, because you're going to re-traumatize yourself because your body still isn't ready to hold it yet. As you are able and have the capacity to hold these things, they will come up and you'll be, you're being led down a path.
0: Absolutely. And that's why I guess I'll give a little shameless plug here from my course, Embodied Trauma Healing. That's what we do in the course is I show you how to physically tap in to what's bubbling up, like what those pieces are that are popping up to the surface and give them space to be held while also bringing in the consciousness and the awareness of what needs to be talked about because we, we can't have one without the other. I do think there's a value in talk therapy, but when you're doing it without embodiment work and you're doing it in a, in a setting where the therapist or the counselor, or whoever is not also an embodiment practitioner or isn't in tune with how the body works and how the nervous system works, then it's just disconnected. It's you're, It's like you're trying to take two roads that are going in separate directions versus walking on the same path that's integrated. So the course is about integrating the two and learning how, like learning the actual practices and the methodologies for releasing the trauma in an organic way and honoring it, and then releasing the stories, the mental stories that we have about it.
1: Yeah, that's super helpful starting out on this journey. On that note, for one question, what is one way you either recommend or like to, or can give an example for working with your nervous system because for a lot of people, this is like a brand new concept.
0: So what's like, how would you describe that or what practice would you give for That's a great question. So I think this is in module one or two of my course, but I can describe it now. There's a practice that I give you of your energetic egg. So we can do this right, like really quick right now. So I have you close your eyes, like wherever you are listening, if you can, not if you're driving. close your eyes and then feel the edges of your body so like literally feel the edge of your skin Just, just sense it you don't have to touch it but just feel the edges of your body and then you're going to take a few minutes with that And then you're going to expand out and you're going to feel what i call the eggshell and then this eggshell is usually between two and three feet outside your body this is like the extent of your energy your aura and when you're doing this when you're feeling for the eggshell. What you're gonna be doing is allowing your imagination to bring up what it looks like. So your imagination is gonna tell you what color, what density, on what thickness, what permeability. Are there any areas of your eggshell that are broken or cracked? Are there any areas that are different colors? Just really doing a whole scan 360 degrees. And what you'll find as you're doing that is that as you're seeing these cracks and holes and different colors, you're going to be noticing sensations and you're just going to be noticing a whole lot of stuff. And as you're noticing all of this stuff, it's going to allow you to repair it. So through using your imagination, you can start to repair the parts that are wounded and and just bring a lot, of home, a lot more sensation and awareness to the nervous system. So that's just simple practice that you can do. I go into it more in the course, but... I like that because it's it's fun, for one. It's fun because it's creative, and it's like using your imagination. And it's a little unusual. Like, people, when you think of the nervous system, you think of something clinical. It's really not. The nervous system doesn't have to be a clinical thing. Like, it can be, a, it's very much a felt thing, and I like to try to reconnect people back to the sensation of of the nervous system, which exists not only in your body, but like outside of you energetically as well.
1: I actually don't think I've ever heard someone describe the nervous system as like something that goes outside of you as well. And that makes complete sense with what we know about energy. I just haven't heard the two together. And that's clicking off some things for me. That's really interesting. I haven't done that practice. So I'm going to try it.
0: I did it while you were describing it, but (laughs) I'm going to do that more short one. So definitely like listeners go and do it on your own and lengthen it and allow your imagination to Unfold and flow. And then the other part of this that I do in the course is I walk people through different types of energies trying to enter into the eggshell. So you can experiment with that, like imagining different energies coming close to the eggshell, trying to penetrate the eggshell. And where does that go? What part of the eggshell is it cracking or entering, or can it enter you? So you can do this with positive or negative things. Imagine a compliment. Where does the compliment enter your nervous system? imagine a criticism where does the where does the criticism enter your nervous system it's really about becoming more aware of how your nervous system is open or closed and then working with it and what i find for a lot of women is they're more closed to praise than they are to criticism and that's so sad that is
1: sad oh and then this practice can help them get more used to certain things
0: Yeah, you can literally imagine yourself having a dial. So what I describe in like the course is imagine you have a dial, like I've just handed you a little dial. And as you're doing this practice with your eyes closed and you're tuned into the egg, you can dial the permeability of your eggshell up or down. So if you want to receive more, dial the permeability up. And if you want to receive less, say it's a criticism, then dial the permeability down. Permeability is just the openness of the eggshell. So you can imagine instead of a hard eggshell that it turns into a gel texture or something, or like a a gaseous, you can, it's really, it's up to you to decide what that looks like for you. It's up to your imagination. And I've with working with like probably dozens of clients at this point, and hearing their imaginations, they really are all different. Like some people imagine it as like a web. Some people imagine it as like a a hard shell. Some people imagine it as like a gel substance. Some people imagine it as just, just color. So don't expect it to look like something. Just let your imagination bring it up because we really have the power to do this all on our own. You don't need it. I'm excited to try that. What color is your eggshell? It changes. Like right now, I feel like it's yellow and green, and it's swirly, like pastel-y kind of colors, and definitely (laughs) glittery. Oh, that's so fun. (laughs) Right? Like you can play with it. And people often think imagination is just make-believe, which, yes, it is. But imagination is also your intuition speaking to you and giving you guidance. So whatever it is, whatever the first thing is that comes to you, don't second guess it. Just be with it and ask it, what's the purpose of this? Why do you need me to see it in this way? And can you just let that be the case without second guessing it and going, oh, I just made that up. Like you did make that up, but your mind is also a tool for healing. So your mind just gave you a tool. Why would you second guess the tool?
1: Yeah. I love that. That's so important in the healing process too, because you might be like healing this one certain thing and then you randomly get, okay, drink orange juice every day this week. And you're like, why? Like, that doesn't make sense, but there might be some reason you may need like the citrus to uplift your mood. or there's So on the healing journey and healing through trauma, that's another big piece is follow your little messages.
0: Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this episode could literally be like a two or three parter, but I think that this is A good place to stop for women who are healing their feminine wounds to know that you have to trust your body. If you want to really be in your feminine, you have to trust your body, even when it wants to take you to a dark place, that you won't fall apart. You're an adult now. You won't fall apart. That's the biggest fear that I find with women is I can't go there because I'll end up crying for the rest of my life. And I won't be able to function and I won't be able to cook and I won't be able to work and I won't be able to do life because I'll be drowning in an ocean of tears. And I totally have compassion for that. But I'm also here on the other side of that saying, you won't drown. You actually know how to exist under the water. You actually know how to exist in the ocean because you are the ocean. Yes.
1: And if it is intimidating for you, like Evelyn said, like, I'm going to cry forever over this i actually just read this book recently and they had, and it's about spiritual evolution. It's called bringers of the dawn by Barbara Marciniak, And she had, she channeled this whole book was channeled and they had a, they called it a decree to state before working with your emotions. And I loved it. So I wrote it down because sometimes that is a fear. Like even now on this journey, I'll still be like, Ooh, I don't want to go there. Um, like I'm going to be crying for a week over it. So I actually wrote it down because I loved it. So I'll share that with you because this is an intention that you're setting and you are essentially in charge of your experience when you set this intention like this. So I believe that my emotions can be trusted. I believe emotions are good and emotions are safe They can take me somewhere and they are beneficial. They are not in the way and they are not misunderstood. So it's a simple concept. But before you go into the work, like starting it by saying, no, my emotions can't destroy my life or they're not going to hurt me. They're safe. They're here to teach me. And I am grateful for all of them. And that completely shifts the energy around, oh, dear God, I have to go back to that incident. And I'd rather die than relive it. So you can start by shifting that energy right off the bat and make it a more pleasant experience for yourself. You're still going to have to feel some things that aren't quote unquote pleasant, but it will be better.
0: Oh my gosh. That's such a perfect way to end the episode. Thank you for that offering. I feel that truth running through my whole body right now. Just yes. Like a full body. Yes. That's perfect. I'm so delighted. (laughs) All right, beautiful women. Thank you for listening to this episode of the insatiable woman podcast. And a quick reminder that if you are interested in taking the embodied trauma healing course, it is on sale until January 24th, 2022. The link will be in the show notes. And until next time, take good care of yourself.